We're in the kind of the middle of our series that we started several weeks ago, two weeks ago. This is part three. Rules of engagement uh, is uh, the subject that we're looking at. There's a, a story about a, uh, a man who uh, had it in his desire to become a big game hunter uh, in the wilds of Africa. He, he, he just became uh, so focused on learning everything he can, get, get, get to read every single thing about big game hunting, watched, you no, know, studied videos about, about, you know, large animals like lions and, you know, rhinos and, and, and all that stuff, and, and, and just crammed as much information and knowledge as he possibly could and traveled, right, to Africa. I mean, you know, thousands of miles away uh, to, 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 get, to become a, a big game hunter. And so one day he's out, He's, he's, he's in the wild, right? He's by himself, and he's, and he's hunting, right? And after a few hours of fruitless activity, he, he comes to a clearing, and, and he sees at that point the largest lion that he's ever seen. The, the mane was like out to here. It was the largest lion he had ever seen, you know, I mean, even in videos, you know. Uh, but the problem is that as he spotted the lion, the lion spotted him. And immediately the lion went into a charge to race toward, toward the man. He knew that he only had one chance, one shot to get off. And he had to make it good because his life was on the line. And so, and so as the, the lion is making his final leap, he aims and shoots. And unfortunately, he missed. But fortunately for him, so did the lion. The lion missed the jump. And so... Realizing how fortunate he was, he ran as fast as he could to base camp where he was safe. And he vowed at that moment, you know, first of all, he was very thankful. He thanked God over and over again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But what he did was he vowed that he would never let an opportunity like that pass him again. And so he began practicing his markmanship relentlessly until he found that he became confident enough to go back out and he figured that he could, he could take care of any, any wild beast that he, that, that he would come across again. And so this time he goes back out and he's out once again in the wild and he, and he, comes, he comes to a place where he hears the unmistakable roar of a lion and he peeks through the, the brush and, and in the clearing he sees the same lion This time, the lion is practicing his jump shots. (laughs) Now, I said that to say this, that we, the Bible says, have an adversary who is as ferocious and vicious and hungry as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And, And let me just say this. He's been practicing a lot longer than we have. In fact, he's been around for centuries and centuries and centuries, and he has, been, he has been perfecting his craft. He studies human nature. He knows what our weaknesses are. And, and, and I just say this. I'm not saying this to, to frighten you, but I'm saying this to alert you to the fact that, that we have promises. You see, against mere human beings, you know, uh, the lion who seeks whom he may devour. Jesus said that he came but for to steal, kill, and to destroy. Uh, Mere human beings are not a match for the powers of of darkness. But we're not mere human beings if we're in Christ. We we have the captain of our salvation. 
who has been in this a lot longer, who has been in this from ancient of, day, ancient of times, and in fact, has given us the assurance that the gates of hell itself will not prevail against the church that he is building. So I want to encourage you this morning to know that uh, while we have an adversary, we also have a captain of our salvation, and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Now, in this series, Rules of Engagement, rules of engagement have to do with the who, what, when, where, and how uh, force is to be applied in a combat situation. And the way in which we're developing this series is we're, we're talking about what happens when we find ourselves in impossible situations, when we find ourselves stuck between a rock and a hard place, when we find ourselves in circumstances that are beyond our ability to, to control. What do we do? What are the principles? What are the strategies for us to become victorious? That's the, that's the essence of, of where we're going in this series. So once again, we're going to look at the classic example of this, of the children of Israel who were stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea. Who was stuck? Actually, it was the Red Sea, but it was, it was stuck between Pharaoh, his chariots, and the Red Sea. They couldn't go to the left nor right, and so the only place they could go was... God had to make a way for them. So we're going to look at that. But before I do that, I, I, I want to a- answer uh, a possible uh, objection or question that, that somebody might have. And it's a fair question. And, and it might be something like this. Somebody might be thinking, like, what relevance does, does that have for me today? An, an, an event that happened like 4,000 years ago. How is that going to help me today, you know, in, in 2012, you know? And I, I think it's an absolutely fair question. The first thing I would say is I would point to apostolic authority. And that would be the Apostle Paul. This is what he said in, in 2 Timothy 3.16. That's an easy verse to remember. 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul said, All Scripture is God-breathed or given by inspiration of God and is useful for teaching and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work or every good deed. You see, for a nation to send out its military without proper training or without the, the adequate equipment would be unthinkable. And you and I, beloved, if you're in Christ Jesus, all that live in Christ Jesus will experience this kind of conflict and this kind of struggle. And so, and so for the church to send you into battle without without the proper equipment, is, is unthinkable. You see, we are engaged in a life and death struggle. It's the most important battle you will ever face. It's the battle for your soul. And I want to talk to you about that and equip you for that. And the second thing I would say is that Paul the Apostle used this very example in second, I'm sorry, first, uh, first Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. He mentions the Red Sea crossing, he mentions Moses. He mentions the cloud of witness, the, the, the rock that gave them spiritual drink in the wilderness. And he makes that comparison. He says that that was the church in the wilderness, but now he focused on the church now and the church of Corinth he was talking specifically about. And he says, he says in, in verse 6, he says, these things were recorded for our learning and for our admonition, that is, our warning. And then he gives us this solemn warning, he says, let the one who thinks that he stands take heed or be careful lest he fall. 
So Paul uses the very same, the, the wilderness crossing and the Red Sea crossing as an example to, to, bring, uh, to bring instruction and equipping for the church. And so that would be my response and that would be my answer to us today. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. The great tyrant Satan has not forgotten you. He designs your capture and your re-enslavement. If you're in Christ, if you have been born from above, if, if you've given your life and your heart to Christ, Satan could not prevent that from happening, though he tried to, though he did put obstacles in your way, uh, used you know, uh, smoke and mirrors, uh, philosophy and religion, uh, used enticements and seductions and pleasures to, to try to prevent you from entering the kingdom. And though he could not prevent you from entering into the kingdom of God, once you're in and once you've been set free from Christ, what he is looking to do is he's looking to recapture you. He's looking to re-enslave you. Or to put it in the terminology of, of Star Wars, he's looking to turn you to the dark side once again. That's his design and that's his desire. I think one of the most tragic verses in the New Testament is the story of a young man by the name of Demas. Demas is probably Demetrius for short, but Paul writes about him on three occasions. On two occasions, he refers to him as a beloved fellow worker, fellow laborer. But the last time Paul mentions Demas, he says that Demas has deserted me having loved the comfort and the pleasure of this present age and is departed unto Thessalonica. Now, now listen, I, I'm not saying that, that Demas was, was not saved anymore or came to, I don't know, God, God knows, but what I do know is this, is that he was taken out. He was captive, captured by the, by the lust of this world or by the seduction of this world. You see, at the very least, Satan wants to, wants to ruin you for ministry. He, he wants to take you out of service. He wants, to, he wants to recapture you if he can and turn you back to the dark side. He's got many schemes. He's got many devices. <clears throat> In Scripture, he's not only likened to that roaring lion that I mentioned a little while ago, but he's also likened to a crafty serpent, deceptive, beguiling. He's not only likened unto a roaring dragon, but he's also likened to an angel of light that deceives and deceives a lot, you know? How, how, many, how many Christian leaders have been taken out over the years, over the centuries, have, have been, you know, the, the, the strategy of, of the wicked one is strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. That, that's worked so well because the ramifications are well beyond the one individual that falls. People fall as well when a leader falls. But listen, it's not just leaders who have a target on their back. Everyone who is in Christ Jesus has a target on their back because all that live godly in Christ Jesus will experience conflict, will experience this life and death struggle for the human soul. Now, I'm saying this not to frighten you, not to discourage you, but rather to encourage you, to let you know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, that if God be for us, then who can be against us? I want you to listen to the same portion of Scripture that we've looked at the last couple of weeks. I'm going to go back over it again. We're not getting very far into the story yet, so please forgive me for that. But I want to, I want to look at it from another 
translation, or it's actually a paraphrase. This is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, and it's kind of, I, I, th- I think maybe it'll add a little bit to this. So let's pick up. You could follow along with me on the screen. Beginning in verse 10, it says this, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw them, Egyptians, coming at them. You know, any of you remember Seinfeld? Whenever Jerry opened the door and there was Newman, it was like Newman, you know? This is, this is how I think that this guy meant the word Egyptians, you know? It's like the hated enemy, you know, coming at them. They were totally afraid. They cried out in terror to God. They told Moses, weren't their cemeteries large enough in Egypt so that you had to take us out here in the wilderness to die? What have you done to us, taking us out of Egypt? Back in Egypt, didn't we tell you this would happen? No, they didn't. Didn't we tell you, leave us alone here in Egypt? We'd be better off as slaves in Egypt than as corpses in the wilderness? You know, we've commented over the last couple of weeks how how horrible this was. All of the mighty signs and wonders, 10 plagues in which God just totally decimated the Egyptian gods because all of those plagues were at, not people as much as they were, a a stripping of these false idols, these these gods that the Egyptians worshipped so that they would know that the Lord, that Yahweh, he was God. Notice what Moses says. Moses says, he spoke to the people and he says, don't be afraid. Stand firm and watch God do his work of salvation for you today. Take a good look at the Egyptians today for you're never going to see them again. God will fight the battle for you. And you, you keep your mouths shut. I love that last line. Boy, I would just love to say that sometimes to somebody, but I just got to watch myself. You know what I'm saying? I just, you know, just some people just need to shut up, including myself when I look in the mirror. You know, I mean, sometimes I say the dumbest things. And, and, you know, it's times like these this last week that that we kind of get irritable. And and, and we really display what we're made out of during difficult times like this. So, honey, please forgive me for my irritability. Listen, but don't you just love the cool, calm composure of Moses? I mean, I love this guy. He says, listen, he says, don't be, I mean, he is confident. Now, now Moses once was the captain of Pharaoh's army. He led chariots into battles before. We have, we have the record of Moses leading the, uh, the Egyptians in a victorious battle against the Ethiopians. We, we know that. And, and if anybody knew the might and force and power of the Egyptian army, it was Moses. But he's not worried. Why? Because he's discovered a greater power in the Almighty. And because he's come to know the power of Yahweh, he's not afraid of the power of the enemy. There was a, a classified ad on eBay. And uh, it's up on the screen for us. It says this, for sale, toddle a bed, white metal frame, practically new, but had monsters under it. $20. Apparently, that's the way that you deal with monsters under the bed. You sell them on eBay, you know. But let me tell you, monsters really do exist, uh, both seen and unseen. 
But the unseen kind of monsters that I'm talking about are not under the bed, they're not in the closet, and they're not a part of a child's imagination. They are real, wicked spirits, unseen forces that we struggle against, that we war against principalities and powers and, and rulers of the darkness of this age. That's what the Bible says. We make no apologies for what the Bible says and what the Bible reveals. Now, I know somebody might be asking the question, are, are people who believe in a personal devil a little strange, a little bizarre, a little superstitious, a little unbalanced, you know? Do we believe in a personal devil, therefore are we a little unbalanced? Can I an- answer the question with a, with a series of questions? So I ask you this, was Jesus unstable when he warned Simon Peter that Satan had desired to sift him, separate him like wheat? But Jesus said, I pray for you, Peter, that your faith would not fail. Was Jesus unbalanced or superstitious when when he said that now is the hour of darkness and now is the prince of darkness cast out? Was Jesus a little unbalanced when he said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning from heaven? Was Jesus unbalanced when he attributed a woman's bent condition for 18 years to a spirit of infirmity whom Satan had bound these 18 years? Or was Jesus superstitious when he expelled a legion of demons out of a man who was living in the cemetery and those spirits went into pigs, and the pigs ran off of a bluff and down into the water. No, wicked spirits do exist. And we are to exercise power and authority over them in the name of Jesus to resist them and to cast them out. It's important, let me say this, that we know our enemy. Look at the statement up on the screen. It's important to know your enemy, but it's most important to know your God. Why? Because the people that know their God, the Bible says, shall be strong. That statement, let me, let, let me add to this. Acknowledge your adversary, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Acknowledge your adversary, but keep your eyes on the Lord. You know, we often underestimate the extent to which the enemy seeks to disrupt our lives. We often underestimate it. We get used to it. You know, how many of you noticed this? Uh, For those of you who had, like, no lights, you know, uh, in your home for, you know, like a week or so, like, I mean, like, no matter, even though you know, you'd go into a room and you'd flip a light switch up, right? How many of you did that, right? You did it plenty of time. But you know what happened to me at the end of 10 days? And even when my lights went back on, I found myself going into rooms and not putting the light on, getting used to the darkness and getting used to just, you know, navigating with a little bit of light maybe coming from another room and not, not even turning the light on. How many of you have done that? We get used to the darkness. See, we've been born in the darkness, and this is the only world that we know. And so, and so for many of us, you know, we don't realize or we underestimate the extent to which the enemy is seeking to disrupt our lives. In Revelation 12, 9, it says that Satan or that old serpent of the devil is the one who deceives the whole world. You remember the, the line from a movie, great, you know, uh, the casual... Uh, 
uh, no, usual suspects, not cat, usual suspects. There's a line that, that, that says that the devil's greatest trick was to convince the world that he doesn't exist. The, his greatest trick was to convince the world that he doesn't exist. And in the minds of so many people, he doesn't exist. Listen to what Paul said. Again, I'm reading from Eugene Peterson's the message. This is Ephesians chapter 6. God wants you to be strong. Listen, God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything that the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so that you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that'll be, that you'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. It's a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help that you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. That's what the word of God is encouraging us to. We're engaged in a life-death struggle. But the weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, they are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Was Paul unbalanced? Was Paul superstitious? You know, I want to show you this. This is so important. Please listen carefully. Paul understood that unforgiveness and bitterness in a local church was the, was the workings of Satan to spoil a community. And so he warned the church about that. Paul said, for we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said, my desire is to come and visit you time and again, but Satan did what? Hindered me. Paul said, if the gospel is veiled, he says, it is veiled to those who are perishing whom the God, little g, of this world has blinded lest they should see the glorious gospel and be saved. So Paul's saying that, 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 that unless you can see the gospel, those who can't see the gospel, it's the result of the, of the workings of Satan. Paul understood that, that his calling and his ministry had to do with setting people free from Satan's power unto God's power, from darkness to light and to give them an inheritance in Christ. But let me say this, and this is so important, that it is possible to have, to have such a thing as an unhealthy interest in the demonic or in the, the so-called, the book of Revelation says, secrets of, of Satan. It's possible to be too introspective of the powers of, and to become too obsessed. That's not balance. When I talk about having a balanced worldview of what the Bible says based upon scripture, I'm not saying that we should have an equal amount of knowledge about God and an equal amount of knowledge about Satan. That's not what I'm saying. That's not balance. Let me, see, let me show you what balance is from Paul's perspective, okay? From, from this man's revelation and discernment about light and darkness, right? L -l 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 Listen to Paul. He says the name Jesus, it, it, it appears in 219 verses of Scripture. The word Lord appears 272 verses in Scripture. The word Christ is, is in 389 verses 
of the New Testament. And Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Now compare that to the mention of the, the word Satan. It occurs only in 10 verses by Paul. And the word devil appears only six times in the Pauline epistles. That is a Christ-centered person. He's focused and he's fixed in his heart. Listen, he's acknowledging his enemy, but his eyes are kept on Jesus. And that's what I want to say to you this morning, that we must acknowledge the fact that we have an adversary who wants to destroy us, but we're to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. In the military, there's a thing called psychops, you know, uh, uh, it, it stands for psychological operations. I think I probably shared this once before. But, but on one occasion when Alexander the Great was in full retreat, he's being pursued by another army, he gives his armories this command to make helmets and breastplates and shields big enough that would be supported by men who were eight and nine feet tall. And they purposely left them behind for their enemies to find so that when the enemy came to find these shields and these helmets that were so huge, they would become demoralized and paralyzed by fear. That's psychological operation. Can I say that, that, that we have been, in many ways, we, we, we have been made to believe the enemy is more powerful than he really is? That in, that, that in many ways what we need to understand is that he has a limitation by a loving heavenly father who watches out for us, who has constraints upon him. I, I was remembering this morning, uh, I was a kid, maybe about seven or eight years old, you know, and uh, up the block, you know, I lived like in the middle of the block, but up the block, I was playing with a couple of kids and accidentally, the, the it was a girl, I'm sorry, you know what happened, but there was a girl who was, who was leaning against this picket fence, and I don't remember exactly how it happened. I pushed her, or we were playing, and, 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 and she accidentally scraped her back against these metal picket fence, right? And, and uh, you know, I knew I was in trouble, and she ran inside screaming her father was going to get me, and so I ran in my house, and I ran under the bed. Now, I lived, I lived in like a, the, the ground floor, which was a couple of steps down. And I remember being under the bed. My, my bed was right next to the exterior window. I remember being under the bed, looking out at the window and seeing her father come to the door. He pressed the, the bell and there he was. He was looking for me. But in between me and him was my mother. <laughs> Honey, you don't mess with my mother. All four foot 11 of her, you know, there's, there's no way he was going to get by her. You see, between, between the devil and between us, there is a f heavenly father who cares for us and who's watching for us and who, will, and who will restrain the workings of the enemy on our behalf. We acknowledge our enemy, but we keep our eyes on the Lord. I'm convinced that Paul, who was, who was well aware of the Greek uh, culture and, and Greek philosophy, was well aware that Alexander you know, had this ploy in, in this art of war as, uh, as this psychological operation. And li listen to what Paul writes. Because, because the battle, listen, the battle oftentimes is not the circumstances that we're engaged in, but the battle often is, is in the mind 
Are we going to, you know, be cool when the light acts weird, you know? Or are we just going to, you know, be calm? So listen to this, Philippians chapter 1, verse 28. And do not for a moment be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents and adversaries. For such constancy and such fearlessness will be a clear sign and proof to them of their impending destruction, but a sure token and evidence of your deliverance and salvation and that from God. In other words, stay calm. Don't lose it. Don't lose your your cool, but let the peace of God keep your mind and your heart through Christ Jesus. Acknowledge your enemy, yes, but. Keep your eyes on Jesus. So Pharaoh is pressing hard against the Israelites. He wants to capture them and he wants to re-enslave them. Just as I've been saying, Satan wants to capture and re-enslave you and turn you back to the dark side. But listen to what Moses says. Again, verse 13 says, do not be afraid. Number one, do not be afraid. Number two, stand still. Number three, see the deliverance of the Lord. See what God will do for you. First words, do not be afraid. Do you know how many times the word of God from Genesis to Revelation says, fear not? Why do you think it, why why do you think the Bible repeats itself so often in the case of so many people's lives? Because if the enemy can paralyze us through fear, he will defeat us. But if we will resist the enemy and be courageous in God and not allow the enemy to project fear and intimidation upon us, we'll be victorious. Fear not is what the Lord said to Abraham. Genesis 15.1, Abraham, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Fear not is the word that came to Joshua. Do not be dismayed. Only you will have good success. Fear not was the word that the angel gave to Daniel. Do not be afraid. Fear not was the word of the Lord that came to to the disciples when Jesus said, Fear not, little flock. It's my heavenly Father's desire to give you the kingdom. All of those, listen, all of those words of encouragement that either came from the Lord himself or came from angels will not benefit us until, listen, that word then is found in your mouth. The the, the psalmist said this, I will not fear because you are with me, Psalm 23. I will not fear. The way that faith works is that faith works because we speak it with our mouth. The word of God is near us, it's in our heart, and it's in our mouth, the word of faith which we speak. So it's not until we say we will not fear that we begin to put into effect that confidence that we have in God. You say to me, that that sounds good, Pastor, you know, it it sounds really, really great, but but, but how do I do that? How do I stay stay with peace when God? When, when the doctor has a bad report, when, when, when the finances aren't there, when, when my wife and I aren't getting along, when, when my children aren't serving the Lord, I'd say, I'd say the same thing I've been saying throughout this message. Acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. What does, that, what does it mean to keep your eyes on the Lord? I, I, I think Isaiah had it right when he said this. He said, 
You will keep him. That is God. You will keep him. You will guard him. You will protect him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, stationed, positioned, steadfast on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for in the Lord is everlasting strength. If you'll keep your mind fixed and focused on God, it will become strength to you. It's the most practical thing in the world. Stay calm. Stay confident. Be encouraged by God. And give God time to work. I think this is what Moses was saying. When he said, when he said stand still. Listen, standing still is one of the most difficult things in the world to do. I know. The human nature is restless. It doesn't know how to stand still. It wants to do something. The only way that we could stand still in the face of adversity is by faith. And the only way that we can receive this this kind of grace in our life is by humbling ourselves before God. I like what, what Doug said a couple of weeks ago about True humility and false humility. He said, true humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less. And I would add this, that it's thinking of yourself less, but it's also thinking of God more. It's meditating upon him. It's fixing your hope, fixing your desire upon the God who cannot fail. And therefore, because God can't fail, then you can't fail. For if God be for us, who can be against us? A fellow by the name of Andy Roddick was ranked as the number one pro tennis player in the world. He started playing tennis when he was three and a half years old. They said he would walk around three and a half years old with a, a, a tennis racket in his hand and he would ask the question, when can I play? His mother said that he created imaginary friends who he played in his garage for hours at a time. And his mother said he never lost a match. Think about that. At the age of seven, he was so confident of his future that he gave his family for Christmas autographed tennis balls. That's confidence. Imagine getting an autographed tennis ball by a seven-year-old. He was confident of his future. He, he holds a number of titles, includes, including the U.S. Open. Now, let me say this, that we in Christ hold a number of titles. We're the, we're the children of the, of the Most High God. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If anybody in this world should have confidence, and then some, it's us. We hold the title that God has placed upon us as heirs of God, do you realize what that means? And join heirs with Christ. Jesus said, all authority and power has been given unto me in heaven and earth. And, and if we are heirs together with Christ, that means that the authority that Jesus delegates to us is a real, it's a reality. So what I want to say to you this morning is this. If you're finding yourself today in the midst of a Red Sea situation, be calm. Stand firm, put your trust in God, pray. You know, the other day I, I was sharing, I think, with, with uh, Paul and uh, uh, Richard this morning 
that, that my wife and I, we prayed several times for our electricity to go back on. And, and this one day we were just driving down the road and we see a truck, right? One of those, you know, utility trucks that were, you know, and so we just started praying. I mean, we're driving right behind. I said, Lord, now just make them turn down my block. And as we were praying, they just turned right down our block. Now I tell you, we, we, we got our lights back on on Wednesday. And, and you know, in all outward appearances, it didn't look like we were going to, because we were on a block that was really decimated. We had poles down. We had transformers broken. And really, to put our block on, we had, we had light, people had lights on all around us, to the left, the right, and in front of us. But, but for us, it would have been about maybe six houses that would have been affected. And you all know that they've been saying that they want to get as many people online. And somehow, somehow or another, you know, I just think that the Lord is interested in all of us. Mark, I'm praying for you, brother. You get yours today. Amen? Amen. Listen, God alone can storm the impenetrable. He alone can devise the improbable and perform the impossible. God alone can part the waters. Trust him. Thomas Watson was a Puritan writer. He said, faith is to prayer what the feathers are to an arrow. Faith enables prayer to fly swift and accurate to the throne of grace. Pray and keep on praying until God comes through. What I want you to take away from this message this morning is this. If you find yourself, if you find yourself between a rock and a hard place, God will fight for you. If you belong to him, God will fight for you so that we can boldly say, the Lord is my help. Who shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my help. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And because of that, listen, we keep our eyes fixed on him. The Bible says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, Looking unto Jesus. You know, Jesus was in the very place that you and I are in. When we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place, and what did Jesus do? He acknowledged the enemy, but he also, listen, he kept his eyes on his heavenly father. This morning, I want you to do the same thing. Acknowledge you have an adversary, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your encouragement, O oh God, and the Holy Spirit that is evident and present among us today, O oh God. So, Lord, let your, let your kingdom purposes be established today. Strengthen your people. Encourage your people. Infuse us, Lord God, especially those of us that find ourselves today stuck between a rock and a hard place, that we would have the encouragement that comes from heaven that your blessings would be upon us. Teach us and train us to be practical, to open up the scriptures, Lord God, and then to see you in the scriptures and to have our hearts burn within us when you open unto us, O oh God, the word of God. Let it be burning revelation in our hearts, O oh God. That's my prayer today. Do that for us today, Lord because you love us, because you are relentless, because you care for us. And we all sit together. Amen.